Wherever you are in the world, thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Badminton Podcast, a community for badminton players by badminton players proudly brought to you by Valan. We talk all things badminton and aim to inspire you to be better in your game and in life by celebrating the people and stories of our global badminton community, whether they be past or present professional players, social players, officials or fans. We're your hosts, Jeff and Henry, and we love badminton. From the bottom of our hearts, we'd just like to say thank you to everyone who has listened to, shared and been part of the podcast. It wouldn't be possible without you all. If you do enjoy our episodes and can spare just a couple of dollars each month, you can really help keep the podcast going by supporting us on Patreon. Just visit www.patreon.com slash Podcast. We'll leave the link in the description. As people who love badminton, we all know that it's not just about the sport itself. It's about the connections you make and the things that it teaches you as a person that you're able to bring to all of the other parts of your life. That's why we want to introduce you to the book Mirror of Magico, written by Al Liao, a former Taiwanese national badminton player who is as passionate about badminton as us. For those who love Harry Potter, you want to give this one a read because Al has authored a fantasy story where three different characters with varying personalities go on a journey of adventure and learning. And they realize that things don't just happen to you, they happen because of you. And by being yourself and spending time in your dreams, you can conquer the evils and be the best version of yourself. So make sure you check it out. Mirror of Magico, written by Ao Liao. You can find it in all leading bookstores and we'll leave the link in the podcast description. Hello everyone, welcome to Badminton Lights Out, a feature of the Badminton Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of high-performance badminton. I'm Gronya. And I'm Justine. Let's dive into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Badminton Lights Out, a new feature of the Badminton Podcast. I'm Gronya. And I'm Justine. And that was our awesome new intro that our mate for us, Sam, who went through a couple of different versions, but we're pretty happy with the one that we got in the end, not including, not using our haze. We were cringing at our own voices a bit. (laughs) I was just cracking up when we were like sending the haze that we wanted in the song to each other, and they were just very awkward. <laughs> it felt so weird just saying hey the whole time once we're forced we're like hey hey. <laughs> we have what we call basic training and then there's pre-competition training and then there's peak training which is during the competition and then there's a recovery period. Pretty much this shows different intensities in each stage and how we train. It's not always going to be the same. I guess we're going to go dive into more detail because I think people tend to think that we just train the same thing the whole time throughout the year. Our pre-comp, it's the sessions will decrease in the volume as in like how many sessions we're doing, but the intensity within them will increase. The focus will be kind of more specific getting towards game style. So you might add more sparring sessions, more tactical drills, like, you know, 
the first three points of a rally and you probably start to cut out like a little bit of the technical aspect as well because it's good to like kind of work on your skills all year round but leading your ride up to a competition you don't want to be really trying to do some new trick shot or some new skill that you might not be confident in. Okay, so earlier this week, we recorded an episode with Jeff and Henry from the Badminton Podcast, who you guys will be familiar with listening to. So make sure you listen to that if you haven't listened to it already and are a bit confused about what's going on and why it's our voices coming at you. It will also be on our YouTube channel where we're going to put the video recordings of these calls because I'm in Australia, Melbourne, and Justine, where are you? I'm in New Zealand. Yep. But basically, we are now doing our own podcast talking about whatever badminton topics we feel and just releasing it through the badminton podcast who has gracefully accepted our presence. (laughs) They might regret it, but we'll see. (laughs) So today's topic is going to be about how to create a training plan. But before we get into it, Josie, how was your week? Little life update? Little life update. My week has been good, actually. I've been able to sleep in recently. Took me about a week or so, but we're good. And yeah. It's been fun. I'm excited to start this podcast. What else? Oh, we just had burgers and that was amazing. Anyway, how was your week? I just had pizza. I just had pizza. So we're not the little hangry munchkins that we can be. We're in a good mood for this podcast. My week was good. I'm easing back into training after a few weeks off from the Olympics. As we're both in lockdown in Melbourne and Auckland, respectfully. That meant that I tried dyeing my eyebrows yesterday. Oh, yeah. Don't know how I feel about it. Painted my nails today. Haven't cleaned them up much. Just locked down things, really. I didn't do my eyebrows, so it looks like I have none in the camera. <laughs> but it is what it is. Lockdown things. <laughs> All right. So as part of our series, at the start of our episode, we are going to give you, the listeners, some recommendations on honestly pretty much anything. Because, you know, why not? So, Grania, what is your recommendation for the week? Mine is just going to revolve around food probably most of the time. Uh, this week's recommendation is the lentil chips and the flavor is jalapeno. You might only be able to get them in Australia, but they're just the best and I can just smash a whole packet out at once. What's, what are they called? Lentil chips, jalapeno flavor. <laughs> it doesn't have a brand or anything. <laughs> I think it, the brand is like Seven Seeds maybe. Oh, maybe. Yeah. I should do it. I'll do a live <laughs> Google. What is your recommendation? Well, I have been doing my own exploring in the first few weeks of lockdown and it's through Harry Potter. So if anyone ever needs to travel and do not want to quarantine or do anything, (laughs) please read Harry Potter. It is the bomb and I'm in the Goblet of Fire right now and it's very entertaining. Let's go. Hooray. The Goblet of Fire. Which one is that? That's the fourth book. What the hell? Like last week you were just starting the first one. You're smashing through these. I know. I think I started like five days ago and now I'm in the fourth book. I'm, I'm crazy. I'm obsessed, honestly. So I highly recommend. <laughs> okay. The brand of the chips is Simply Seven. I was close. So let's get into it. So pretty much today we're going to be talking about how to kind of create a training program and what ours look like. So Jazzy, do you want to talk through the different phases of a training program? Yep. So what I've been introduced recently from our national coach, we have might differ from yours, Ron, but we have four, no, we have three, four, three, four. I don't know. Let's just go to it. So the first one is our basic, what we call basic training. And then there's pre-competition training. And then there's peak training, which is during the competition. And then there's a recovery, recovery period. 
pretty much this shows different intensities in each stage and how we train. It's not always going to be the same. I guess we're going to go dive into it into more detail because I think people tend to think that we just train the same thing the whole time throughout the year, but it actually goes into more detail as like now that science is going into it as well. I think that's why that's why there's different phases of training these days. I don't know. Did I word that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think it's still like difference between countries. I would say like Asian training might still be a bit old school in the way that it's kind of just train hard all year round pretty much. I think European training especially and our training that has been like more influenced by European and like sports science, that kind of thing. Yeah. has these kind of phases. I would just add that some people might include preseason. So that's something that I'm kind of currently doing right now, but have previously not really done just because it's kind of a totally different schedule in these COVID times. Whereas typically, you know, on the world tour, you would have tournaments pretty much all year round. Like the max you would get is maybe like four or five weeks break. And it's hard to fit in kind of three different phases of training in five weeks when there's not much like point to doing one thing for a week when you don't have time to kind of adapt over the multiple weeks. So should we just start at the preseason phase, even though it might not be something you do exactly? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, and I think it's important. Yeah, like you said before, there's different uh, peak seasons. So maybe we should explain also what a peak is. Okay, so peak is pretty much when you think would be your most important tournament is or when your most important period would be. So everything in this training will be based off the peak and the planning pretty much starts backwards from that date, right? So the first preseason, let's go. You explain what you do in your preseason because I don't have a preseason. I think it goes, my basic is pretty much your preseason. <laughs> yeah. So as I said, this is kind of the first proper preseason that I'm doing, which is pretty much the opposite kind of ratio to what we would do more pre-competition. So what I mean by that is pretty much we're doing, I'm doing more gym and fitness training and a bit less on court. So as we go through these phases, you'll see how that the kind of number of sessions all the time in each of those changes as we progress closer towards that peak. So for example, my week right now, it has three cardio sessions. So they're done a bit differently. Like there's kind of a hit circuit, there's a long interval bike session and then like a shorter interval bike session. I also have two weight sessions as well. So that's five sessions total for like the fitness. And then I'm only doing five on court, which is like less than what I would usually do. So pretty much I'm in this phase for about three weeks and then it's going to switch over a little bit. So how many weeks you spend in it would depend on how you're working backwards from that peak and what time you have to work with. So right now I'm doing three weeks of this and then kind of three weeks into basic training and pre-comp two weeks after that. And then that's when my competitions will start. So pretty much working with a seven to eight week period leading up to my peak and slash competition right now. Yeah, sounds good. And it's probably perfect timing since you're in lockdown and you can't get as much on court, right? Or like a lot of your sparring people. Oh no, actually you're pretty lucky because the Australian national team can train. <laughs> yeah. So here in our lockdown, if you're part of the national team, you're considered a high performance athlete. So you get a special permit to continue training. So that just means that the most we ever have a training is five and sometimes it's as little as two. So yeah, right now, like if it wasn't co, if we weren't in lockdown, I wouldn't be back to training probably this much yet. But because I have nothing better to do, happy <laughs> to have the excuse to go out and like we changed our the timing that we're getting to Europe because we are in lockdown, so that we get back to training quickly and get over to Europe in a good shape. Yeah, lockdown has been crazy. I remember when we first went to our lockdown and 
we have different levels of lockdown here in New Zealand. And right now we're in level four. So everything is closed except for the supermarkets. And we couldn't go back into the court, or like onto the courts until we were in level two. And even then we could only train like in groups of 10 and no, only one person could touch the shuttle, which was wild. <laughs> Someone's like reaching for it and you're like, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you remember the first time we're like, when everything was in lockdown or like, um, when Corona happened and you couldn't high five, but it was just so natural to like high five with each other. So that was different. But anyway, yeah. now you talked about your preseason, which is actually, which leads on to our, my basic training or your basic, would you call it your basic training as well? Or what do you call it? Yeah. Yeah. Basic training is pretty much how we would train normally. Yeah. Yeah. And which is like the biggest chunk of, I think all of the phases, because this is where, where we focus are like building the foundation, focusing mm-hmm. on improving strength and fitness. And if we wanted to learn new skills, this would be the time to start it or really, really focus on it. Because this, like I said before, this is our longest period. So for me, because we don't travel as much as you guys, I think we're still in the developing stage. So we're not really into the circuits yet. Our training periods can go up to eight to 12 weeks for basic, which I don't think you have the luxury of doing. In COVID we did, but typically no. Yeah, yeah. yeah because New Zealand is so far from everything. It's really hard for us to be able to compete in the European circuit unless we base ourselves there, which is kind of like you guys as well. But yeah, also we don't have as much funding as you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so... With that then, so with your eight to 12 weeks of this period, mm-hmm. how would you then break it down into like your focus area on court? So if you wanted to say there's two focus areas of like your long defense and then your net game, would you do them both at once throughout that period? Or would you do one for like a few weeks, like four weeks and then the other one for four weeks? Or how do you kind of, because you guys have this thing called smart training, right? Which is like yeah. your, your personal development area that you do at the end of a few sessions. So our coach, um, Raika, I'm going to be butchering her name. Sorry, it's a Danish name. She gives us max two smarts or skills that we want to work on, which I think is a good number because we don't get overwhelmed because obviously with badminton being such a crazy creative sport, you can pretty much work on anything. So two really, really helps you focus on just that gives it your attention, your full attention on those skills. And you don't really move on until you feel like you've improved. So with me, I personally chose defense and I think I work on it at the same time, but again, just like max two, right? So like, for example, maybe every after the session or we have more smart sessions during our basic period. So when it's smart, I'll be like, okay, today we want to work. I want to work on my A skill. So I think everybody has a different approach to it, but I usually work on it at the same time or have a schedule for them. So the two areas simultaneously. Yeah. yeah. And what's your like breakdown of sessions in that period in terms of like cardio strength on court? Okay. So we always have five on court with the national squad and two with our association. And other places you probably call it club, right? So let's just say we all come from different clubs. So we have five on court with the whole national squad and then two with our clubs and then three strength trainings and three cardio trainings. My hands is like going everywhere while I'm talking. <laughs> Jessie becomes a rapper when she gets behind her mic. <laughs> like, so that's total, you have seven on-court sessions and then six in the gym. So 13 sessions yeah. total. Yeah, but yeah. actually okay. with our cardio, 
we do it like one cycling. So two of them, Rekha does try to get us to do it with the squad. So one might be multi-feed, which would be would consider as cardio. And then another one will be after maybe like 20 to 30 minutes, just before the session finishes, we'll do running or sprinting or like shuttle runs on court together, which would then count as a cardio session. And yeah. Okay. But kind of embedded into the court session as well. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? So mine is pretty similar. We don't have a national team anymore in Australia. So now I have three sessions a week with our state team, which is, yeah, some of the national players are within that, but then there are other players as well. And then I would do about five additional sessions. So those are kind of self-organized within our group or with a private coach. I try to do at least two sparring and two one-on-one private sessions with the coach. So for me, private sessions are super important. That's how I feel like I've kind of caught up to other players is by getting that one-on-one detail, especially with my technique, because I was still am kind of unco, I guess, not naturally <laughs> skilled with the racket. I think I'm, I'm athletic, but not like that natural with the racket. So, yep. And then as it ramps up my on-court, then I will go down to one cardio and two strength. Sometimes I'll do two cardio, but depending on like how fatigued I am from court, that the first thing I drop out will be cardio, but I always maintain at least two strength. Yeah, uh, now that you mention it, for this period of our training, we do prioritize more of our off-court. So if we were feeling tired, we would drop an on-court session instead of... Oh, okay, um, so yours is a bit opposite. Yeah, we're a bit yeah. opposite because we're so injury prone, I swear. <laughs> like people don't realize how important strength and conditioning is. I I think you, you've been good. You have a really good foundation, but I think uh, like the majority of the players around the world don't really understand how important strength and conditioning is. And I think that's why I also back in, I don't know, back in the years, players don't last as long in their careers. And I think now everyone's actually playing longer than what it used to be like the norm. A lot of people are in their late 20s, which you don't see often, maybe 10, five, 10 years ago. Yeah. When I talked to my coach about when he played, he would just get like, like if he's had an injury, he'd just push through, he'd just get like a cortisone injection. He'd just get whatever bandaid he could and just like keep training. So now he has like no ligaments in his ankles. He just rolls them like all the time and just... I think the approach to badminton has changed a lot in that respect. And I think he retired when he was like maybe 28 or something like, like kind of young in nowadays terms, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But that's another topic we can get into in the future. Yeah. I'll bring him on. I'll bring him on and roast him. <laughs> I'm like, can you give us some wisdom? And I was like, Stuart, you did this wrong. You did this. And I guess with that, with the injury thing, for me, especially, I was injured a lot younger. So it kind of got drilled into me then the mm. importance of strength training to have that base and to prevent injury. So pretty much I was like super pigeon toed when I was younger. I had a lot of knee issues because of that, because my glutes were like so weak and I was just like floppy everywhere. <laughs> and then through my own experience, through strength training, I've just like seen my legs like straighten out. My biomechanics become so much better. So I'm such a huge advocate for strength training to fix your biomechanics and support your like all the crazy movements that we do on court. Like badminton is one of the most violent sports on your body because you're literally like throwing yourself into one direction and then immediately bringing your body back to recover yeah. so it's super harsh and repetitive and like so much impact on the body so yeah, yeah a lot of change definitely. of direction i don't think people realize how intense badminton is to through our limbs because it's not like running where we're constantly in one direction we're always pushing pretty much doing mini sprints in different directions so really powerful yeah at the Olympics, we got assigned a physio 
like from the Australian Olympic Committee to look after us. And she usually is on the world tour with the Australian tennis team. And she mm. came to our thing and she was just like, I don't know how you don't all have stress fractures all through <laughs> your feet and like ankles and everything. I was like, yeah, it's pretty intense. She's like, it's insane. Like how are you guys training yeah. this much, playing this intensely and not <laughs> and not having stress fractures all the time? Yeah. It's funny you say that because I just recently injured my ACL, right? So I was going through like all these different physios or different specialists. And every time I ask, every time I tell them, oh, I play badminton and, and I show them like videos of how I do it. And it's probably like the first rally they've ever seen of badminton because in New Zealand, badminton is not that big. And like, oh my, one of them was like, oh my goodness, you guys are ninjas. You guys are jumping everywhere. Like, yeah, it's pretty intense, I guess. And you're just like, keep me together in one piece. Yeah. Just like, keep like, me in one piece. <laughs> how do I not break myself, please? Yeah. But what about for you? How long would these usually go for? Like, would your preseason go into your basic training or would you count that as different? It would be an obvious transition from when my court sessions ramped up. I mean, you kind of want to do it gradually as well so that it's not like mm. five on-court sessions to eight or nine. You want to, you know, try and add one one week or sometimes even extend the length of a session. So doing three hours instead of two hours to kind of ramp up gradually because that's with all these injuries that we've been through. The huge thing <laughs> that physios always talk about is that training load and especially like tendons. That's a huge one for tendons. So if you have, you know, like plant fasciitis, Achilles issues, knee issues. It's when you go from a certain load and you just jump up really suddenly that your body can't adapt. So I've actually gotten really good at like tracking out in the Excel spreadsheet and kind of, you know, adding in my sessions and just kind of monitoring the load management as well. Yeah. Yeah. I've started doing that, actually tracking my load because coming from an injury or trying to get back into full time on court. It's really interesting to see how much the number changes with just the change of the intensity in your training, you're like, oh, since that one was super intense, I probably shouldn't do this. Oh yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool to, to track it. But again, yeah. maybe we can invite our um, strength and conditioning coaches in the future and talk about that. <laughs> yeah, right. for sure. And then I guess with basic training, it can, like you said, yours last eight to 12 weeks, but like the one that I have coming up is probably only going to be three weeks before I'm into pre-comp just because that's the period we're working with. So yeah. it can be a huge variation. It really just depends on the, the time frame that you have. And I guess we'll just say that if you're not a like super high level athlete and you're doing badminton training, just make all these kind of relative to yours. So, you know, if you train, if the most you can train is like five times a week, then that will be kind of your basic training, your big part. And if you're, and then in your preseason, it might be down to two sessions a week on court and you, you know, you might do three gym. So just make it relative to whatever works with your schedule. And what after, yeah, pre-comp, pre-comp. So <laughs> would you want to talk about your pre-comp first? Pre-comp, let's go. What does your pre-comp look like? So pretty much our pre-comp, it's, so the sessions will decrease in the volume as in like how many sessions we're doing, but mm -hmm. the intensity within them will increase. So things will start getting less. So like the drills will be not as long, shorter and more intense. The focus will be kind of more specific getting towards game style. So you might add more sparring sessions, more tactical drills, like, you know, the first three points of a rally, that kind of thing. And you probably start to cut out like a little bit of the technical aspect as well, because it's good to kind of, kind of work on your skills all year round, but leading right up to a competition, you don't want to be really trying to do some new trick shot or some new skill that you yeah. might not be confident, <laughs> confident in. 
might have done something just oh this sounds like a good idea poor execution <laughs> so yeah i guess that's the most that's important bit of basic right you try and really drill and focus on mastering that as much as you can before you trick get shot. to these stages <laughs> mastering that trick shot <laughs> that's all basic is it's just i have sessions of trick shots wait are you talking about my training because that's what i'm now okay <laughs> that's what i've been doing for like eight like straight weeks <laughs> nothing else yeah. <laughs> Now, just a quick word from our sponsors. The Badminton Podcast is brought to you by Volant. Volant was first born out of our frustration with the confusing, bright, and unsightly clothes and equipment that we saw in the badminton world. But now, it's so much more than that. Our mission is to accelerate the growth of badminton by providing players with products that enhance their love for the sport. All in all, it's high quality gear that makes you look and feel great on and off the court. So make sure you check us out at volantbadminton.com and follow us on our socials at volantbadminton. Yeah, pretty Same again, same with us, I think. We have like the same training times, except we have higher intensity on court. And um, off-court trainings, it is still the same, I think, but just shorter lengths and shorter periods and shorter reps, smaller reps, yeah. Yeah. So the thought process is pretty much that you're trying to reduce the load on your body so that your body's getting more time to recover so that you're in better shape or feeling fresh for when your competition comes around pretty much. Yeah, the goal is to feel fresh when you're in competition. (laughs) Yeah. So what does that kind of specifically look like for you, Josie? For me, it would look like same, I think five times on court with national training and again, two with club, but then our cardio, cardio sessions would drop. If we were doing multi-feed, we would hit less shuttles. And if we were doing cardio sessions, it would be less time. So instead of doing like 25, 30 minutes, it would in total be like just 20 minutes. And then our gym session, like I said before, twice, two times gym session, it will be probably shorter reps, lighter load. Oh, not necessarily lighter load, but like shorter reps. Yeah. Yeah. So the cycle of a gym program is a whole nother thing to go into. Yeah. But um, (laughs) yeah, that's another, the cycles are different through like hypertrophy and strength power. Definitely something we can talk about in the future. Yeah. Yeah. That's for the strength coaches when they come on. (laughs) Yeah. Imagine them listening to us and we're like butchering what they've said. (laughs) (laughs) It's anaerobic. I shouldn't get this wrong. I'm like qualified. I'm a qualified exercise scientist. I should have it down pat. (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) Just interview me. Just interview me. I I got got it all. It's all here. Okay. I'll make sure I give you enough time to like write your notes or recall your notes and like, the previous. I'll just text my trainer and be like, this morning today I did um nasal breathing bike training and I was yeah. I did a post about it and I like to add a little information about it. So I text my trainer and was like, what are the benefits of this again? And he was like telling me and then I just like copy and paste it across. <laughs> okay. So yeah, my court sessions in pre-comp are pretty similar to yours. So yeah, about... Yeah, it might drop down to like seven or six sessions a week on court total. The gym, as you said, the intensity kind of stays there, but the reps are going down. So pretty much you get very, like your body gets very fatigued and your nervous system gets very fatigued from lifting weights. So reducing that volume really helps in your recovery and, you know, being ready to go on court and be fresh for that. And then the cardio, the overall session length will just decrease a bit. Maybe your intervals will get like a bit shorter, a bit shorter 
working and then recovery as well. And for your pre-comps, so we talk about how often we do this per week, right? Or like how many courts or how many sessions we do per week. How long would you do this pre-comp phase for? Again, depends on what, how long we have leading up to that peak or the competition. But so this one will probably be a bit shorter, maybe like two weeks, two to three weeks. Yeah. Whereas the other ones can be extended, but this usually would be a bit shorter. Things pretty much the same for us. It wouldn't really be consistent to science if ours was different, right? <laughs> well, it depends. If you're working in with a different time frame as well, like how you say you don't have as many tournaments, then it can be longer if you've been doing basic training for so long and then your pre-comp will be so long as well. Exactly. And then, so we just covered preseason, basic training, pre-comp. Now we're in peak mode. So what does peak mode look for you? What's your focus during um, peak or competition week? Pretty much the focus is to win on my matches. That's the main focus. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Imagine going that. and be like, oh, today I'm just going to feel like doing all my trick The shots. second focus is probably not to get injured. Third focus is to get a racket swap in on the TV court. <laughs> Fourth is to hope that one goes viral. <laughs> okay, so pre-comp can vary depending on the tournament. If you're traveling like to Europe, for example, from Australia, we have to get used to the whole time difference. There's a lot of external factors you're having to adjust to as well. So for example, if we get to Europe and we do our pre-comp there, then leading up to the peak, like then once we get into the competition, it's usually like Sunday, Monday, we would have two days of training on the test courts or like in the warm-up hall, whatever's available. And then usually the competition would kick off on the Tuesday and Wednesday. This is that like super serious level. So basically those first two days, one of them, it kind of depends because some of them start on a Sunday. That would mean that we've usually trained through like Monday to Saturday. So if we haven't rest Saturday, then Sunday will probably just be a chill, like get used to the court, do some drops, do some clears, do like some short intervals of for doubles rear mid or for singles, like just full court, kind of getting used to the court more so. But I would say if you probably like rested the day before, then you would have more your full training session on the court. It's also hard for countries that, you know, have like 12 players and they have to use like one court or that kind of thing. Sometimes you're like purely limited by logistical things as well. But pretty much during that week, the focus is getting used to the court before you play and getting some intensity in your training and kind of feeling like you're moving quickly, building a confidence in your shots that, you know, something's not really working, then trying to do it a few times, get it feeling comfortable in a double situation, make sure like we're communicating, we're rotating well, everything's feeling good. And Mm -hmm. then outside of, so say competition kicks off on the Tuesday, as I said, then we might try and do like one gym session before that as well. It wouldn't be the focus of the gym session would pretty much not to get doms. So it's to kind of feel like we've worked without like having the effects the next day. Cause the worst (laughs) thing is when you you go into the gym and then the next day you're like feeling and you're like, Oh my gosh, like I just needed to take like 20 kilos off and I would be sweet today. But my ego was like, no, you could do it. And then once the competition kicks off, it also depends on like the logistics of when you play. So if you play in the afternoon, we try to have a hit in the morning as well, if you can get courts, otherwise something in the gym, like just 20 minutes on the bike, some agility stuff, make sure the feet are moving and then you have your match. And then depending how you're going through the the tournament, pretty much we would try and keep like fit in one more gym session to make sure you have that maintenance of that strength base and cardio, if it works we would add it, but if we're not feeling it, that would kind of be the first thing to go again. Yeah. But 
yeah, you wouldn't have a rest day from then on in terms of court if you're winning through. So if you have a big gap in the day and you want to do some on court, then you would add in another session. But main focus is getting ready for the match, getting used to the court and trying to fit in strength if you can. Yeah. Actually, we talk about how many times we train and stuff, but we never actually talked about what type of exercises we do during these phases. So I think your competition badminton exercises on court would be different to what it would look like in basic period, right? So maybe we can just backtrack a little bit and talk about what our sessions look like starting from preseason basic. So preseason longer drills, like there's still that whole thing about Asian training, European training, but I think they're starting to merge a little bit more. I think the Europeans are starting to adapt a bit more of the Asian training within their sessions. So they're adding some longer things in as well. And yeah, I don't know if the Asians are doing any of this like one minute stuff, but (laughs) so pretty much like the other day I had a 10 minute defense drill. So I was just doing 10 minutes, like two V one half court defense for five minutes and then change the other side another five minutes. So the drills are a lot longer. They're more general, kind of less specific. They can be like points focused to have add that incentive or that kind of thing. We do more like footwork, speed ladder, the kind of mm. the physical training that's kind of on court that I don't yeah. do in the gym. We add that we still have that. The multi shuttle and all of that will be longer. You know, you'll be working mm. for maybe like forty minutes as opposed to getting towards um basic training pre-comp where you might do like 20 30 intense yeah and then the matches I guess you might rotate like through different partners a bit more so it's less structured in that way I was just gonna say that it's I think in our basic period as well it's not often we train with our partners and we always get like mixed around and just pretty much longer periods of exercises like you said you pretty much said it. This is just like longer, longer periods. And I think more, not as game specific, you know, it's more like just drills. Meanwhile, as we get to like high performance or competition period, it's more game specific or match like exercises where you're going to be with your partner and you try and work on what you guys have been working on outside during basic training and coming back together and making things work, I guess. Yeah. And I guess also with that basic period, like, I think you guys do it a bit more where you have like specific days where you focus on one thing more so where it's like a fully like building day where you're you're all working on getting that short lift and building from the rear court or I don't know if you do that like that consistently throughout the week for a period of time but so there'll be phases there where you have that kind of technical tactical focus for a few weeks within that period and then it'll change as well. Yeah definitely yeah our coach has been really good at giving us a plan before the week starts and every Monday would be the same for the next Monday. Like we know what we're working on. And on Tuesdays, let's say it was defense, it will be defense. And then, yeah, it's very good. But obviously as we go through our different phases, that gets shorter, like the drills become shorter. Well, our coach is Danish. And so she, our longest period of exercise would be like two minutes. But like you said, it will be different for Asian training where it'll be like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, which, I think both have benefits, but we can talk about that in a different episode. <laughs> Which phase is your favorite? Pre-season's fun just because you have less sessions overall. So it's just like you have more free time. I don't know, like in my pre-comp before the Olympics, that was just good because I just felt like I was like in a really good place and mm-hmm. I could just feel the benefits of all the training I was doing as well. But I was like wrecked and I had no time for anything else. I was just it was just train and then just like try and recover as much as I can for the next training session. Like that was my life. And <laughs> it gets draining when you're doing that for a long period of time. Yeah. yeah. How about you? 
I love the game like once. <laughs> so I'd probably go pre-comp and comp. Only recently, ever since I got injured, I really, really appreciated strength and conditioning. Because I physically saw my my leg <laughs> go from any stick into like a building muscle thing. Because yeah, I lost all my muscle during my <laughs> those time lapses when um when little plants grow. Yours is just <laughs> like your leg, like a time lapse of <laughs> <like> your leg <laughs> growing. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I fully forgot the comp phase as an option there. I obviously love comp. That's like the whole goal of, <laughs> that's like why we play, <laughs> but it's not my favorite. No. <laughs> I think one of the downers of, of comp as I play at this level is that when we're going to a super series and we lose like first or second round and we're kind of just stuck in this country for like another five, six days with mm. not many options of like training just by ourselves that, that can like be a bit of a downer. Yeah. It's definitely not as structured as the other phases because there's a lot of factors you can't control <laughs> mm. for this yeah. one. Well, did you know, I'm just talking about, talking about faces. Did you know marathon runners, they never, we obviously train more time than the time we spend on court. For example, we train two hours, but then on court will probably realistically only be there like 20 to 40 minutes or maybe an hour, but we'll never be on it for two hours. But marathon runners, they never run the length. They always run shorter. And then they, they just randomly run 42 Ks. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Really? Yeah. How close would they run to 42K in their training? They don't. They like run like 10K, 10K. Well, I don't know the proper way to do it, but they definitely don't run 42K until their competition day, which is wild. So wild. I guess that would kind of make sense when it's so fatiguing though. Yeah. (laughs) I wonder if that's the same for like, you know, like triathlons and stuff as well. It's true. Can you imagine ultra marathon runners where they do multiple ones and like, they're cooked, man. They are, <laughs> they're they are insane. <laughs> <laughs> like the brain you would need to want to do that is just <laughs> I know. And saying that, I'll probably I'll probably want to do something like that when I retire. <laughs> if my really? body's still like upright. Yeah. You do it I know, by just choice. Challenge. When you have time, I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Do you want to go through your comp phase, maybe as if it was an international challenge starting on like a Friday or something? Yeah, so our comp phase, because like I said, we're from New Zealand. So anywhere to get out of like, once you get out of the country, it will take us five hours to get to a different country, at least. And that's like to Australia. And if it's anything outside Australia, it would be minimum nine. So when we really try and focus on having that high intensity prior to when we travel. So because we know we're not going to be able to travel. And I don't think people realize how draining it is to be on a plane for nine hours and you can't move your feet and stuff. So when we arrive, we will probably consider it like almost like a rest day. And so when we arrive, we would just, you know, move our legs, make sure we're cycling, getting through, making sure that our blood's flowing because you're cramped up in like a small space for a long time. So yeah, it affects your muscles. So we would train intense on the last week to our competition and then when we get to the competition place we would do some light stuff getting things going hopefully get an on-court session again it depends on the scheduling we would try and get like a light on court like you said clears drops just having a feel with the stadium with the shuttles and everything and then maybe do a little bit of matches with your partner and if you're singles obviously matches with an opponent on your own <laughs> and then yeah gym a little bit of gym if you could like, like you said nothing heavy nothing crazy just 
just getting your muscle gains. <laughs> but it's so hard. It's so hard, like not to lift heavy. So <laughs> <laughs> when you got these huge biceps, they just want to pick things up. <laughs> you like, hold me back. <laughs> and then after that, you go into a recovery period. Yeah. You can tell us about that. What's your recovery period? Say you have like two, three tournaments in a row. What's recovery yeah. like after that? So everyone, I think, in our team recovers differently. Like some people would take the whole two weeks off or some people would just keep going almost, but not as intense, like especially every now and then. But for me, I like to sleep in. So I, I would actually let, you know, let, this will be the time where I would let the body recover mentally and physically, which I think our coach is really, really nice about. Because it's not often where a lot of people are like, go, 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 go all the time. But that, like this is the importance of the the phases where recovery is actually just as important as the other phases because it's just like a mental reset. So what it would look like for me is probably just a light cycle every now and then. Or if not, I would probably not do anything for like two days. <laughs> to be really honest, I'd probably not do anything for two days. And then I'll slowly introduce exercise because... People should know that it's so hard to get back into what you were before. Like, it's so painful. The DOMS is insane. So just thinking about the DOMS make me want to start working out after like three, four days of rest. You know, just something like, just not shock the system into it. What about you? (laughs) So pretty much you don't have any obligation from your coach about what you need to do? No. As long as we tell her, this is like, I'm going to have a break for two weeks. And she's like, cool. Say you have two, three comps in a row, then you take two whole weeks off. Like have the option. Yeah, but then again, again, it depends as well. Like when our next peak is. Yeah, like if it's soon or not. Yeah, if it's closer to the time, then obviously we can't just take two, three weeks off. But yeah, like you said before, we don't, we're not on the circuit with you. So we don't compete to as many tournaments yet. We're currently building up. So we have longer peak time differences. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And your basic training is like. 12 weeks so long. and mine's like three. <laughs> so I have a bit more variety, which is nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for me, I guess the proper like recovery that I have done most recently is after the Olympics, having like two weeks hotel quarantine where I just kind of did not much for a week. And then I got back into like a bit of footwork, a bit of biking, mm-hmm. a bit of body weight stuff the second week and then, then like still the third week after the Olympics, still not that much like similar, like maybe one on-court session and a bit of gym cardio. That's about it. But typically like on the world tour, you wouldn't have two weeks rest unless it was like, you know, over Christmas break or like, I think the Europeans take like two weeks in their summer break in the middle of the year. Cause pretty much it's just back-to-back tournaments and mm. you can't afford to take that much time off. So pretty much the main thing is to make sure your mind is right. So, you know, if you need a break mentally, then I think people will try and they try and get a bit more creative with their training. Like if you have the option to like going on a holiday and finding a court wherever you yeah. can there and doing your gym somewhere else, mixing it up in that respect or, you know, training in another country or with another national team for that kind of mental change up. But otherwise, obviously, if your body like injury wise isn't going great, then you would figure out a way how to kind of keep your training as high as you can while managing that injury as well. But yeah. Often it's kind of like some other form of these training phases or like specific holiday for how I am on the circuit, but I wouldn't really use this recovery 
phase as much or call it recovery, I guess. Yeah. In terms of recovery, it's not actually like completely off. (laughs) I don't think everyone would like just be in bed for two weeks. I mean, people probably would try, but it's so hard. I feel like you would just lose all your gains, which I'm not keen to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I spent so long making these gains and you just lose it. Well, you'll probably lose it in like five days. So I would not recommend taking the two completely no exercise for two weeks. Yeah. But I know (laughs) some Olympians have done that and it's what they need to do, which is totally understandable after... A crazy, crazy like four years. Olympics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. I think the final thing I might mention is that when it is a full year of tournaments, such as like 2019, which was meant to be the Olympic qualification year, on the World Tour, it's pretty much you're playing as many tournaments as you can as that fit into your schedule and, you know, your goals. And for us, that was about 26 tournaments. So we're away at least like half the year traveling, like pretty much one tournament lasts a week in one country and then you're off to another country. Some of them are back to back, like people are playing eight tournaments in a row, like ridiculous, ridiculous schedule. And with that, it's a really fine balance of fitting your training in while trying to win your matches because you don't have that time to increase your training load so high so you have to figure out yeah the way to kind of maintain it so that over those eight weeks you're not detraining like you're not missing your strength you're not missing too much cardio and so that you're still hitting those areas so that you're trying to maintain as much as possible so the reason we have that like pre-season or the basic training is to build up your peak so you're at a high level so that when you do if you do have these kind of back-to-back-to-back tournaments you're most likely decreasing right just because of the Mm. schedule and everything, but that you're decreasing at a slower rate and that you start from a higher peak. That's another thing to kind of note if you're on the second. It's like you make your worst better pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. We've pretty much covered all of the phases. So we did your preseason, the basic training, normal training, and then high performance, pre-competition phase, competition phase, and then recovery. Mm -hmm. We're going to wrap this up. Yeah. We discussed that we would give the listeners a task or a challenge. We didn't discuss what that was going to be today. But making it up right now, the task is going to be... <laughs> Wait, give us like the five task. minutes. <laughs> no, no, no. no, no, no. We got this. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Leaning. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> brought to you by your next. <laughs> okay. Okay. How about we just say that you guys need to pick like when, oh, it's so hard with COVID. I was going to say like your main tournament that's coming up, right? And then try and structure your weeks back from them. Or they could always like go backwards and just do a simulation in their head or on their computer. Be like, this is where you competed. What could you have done to change it so that you can do it in the future? Yeah, that doesn't get our hopes up about cancelled tournaments. <laughs> okay, simulation. Get the VR headset on. Go back to <laughs> 2013 World Juniors in Thailand. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Alternatively, one other task that you can do is have, like, if this has kind of sparked something in your head and you're like, oh, like, I kind of want to address this and like try and change something in my own training, maybe try and organize a meeting with your coach or your parents if they're involved. You know, try and get your team around and just be like, okay, is there a way that we can plan this better? Or I'd like to try structuring it a bit differently and just kind of, yeah, have some conversations to get the people in your team involved and on the same page. Good one. All righty, guys. Hopefully our first episode was all right. We didn't blabber on too much, 
we are on this journey together. We're just winging it. We were going to try to do three podcasts in a row. We we went back down, spread our heads back down, and we're just aiming for one at a time. <laughs> we were shooting way too high. <laughs> and also, like based on this recording, we definitely have to like write out our outro or something. All right, guys. And if you have any topic ideas that you would like us to cover, you can write them into the Badminton Podcast Instagram or our YouTube channel, Badminton Lights Out, as well in the comment section. Let us know what you would like us to discuss. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Bye. Bye.